0: Well, um, if you have a Bible, which I really hope you do, um, well, you've probably got one. What I really hope is that you've brought it with you. Um, You might want to turn to Luke chapter 15, because I'm going to get there in a little bit. And if you're regularly here, you'll know we're in this series following on from the teacher of Ecclesiastes to the life of Jesus the teacher. Um, And today is a rejoicing heart Um, At the start of 2017, I preached a sermon with the title Vision at the beginning of that series in Ecclesiastes. I fell in love with that little book. The title of the series, you may remember, was The Extraordinary Ordinary Life. The The first sermon in that series began like this. In 2016, as it drew to a close, the media spent time remembering people who had died in that year. Mostly, they remembered What people had achieved. David Robert Jones, better known of course as David Bowie. Music career that spanned five decades, produced the sale of 140 million albums, 11 number one albums, and he became a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. A stunning career by any measure. Cassius Marcellus Jr., better known of course as Muhammad Ali. Some say the greatest sportsman ever. He being one of them. (laughs) The only man to win the heavyweight boxing championship of the world three times. Sports Illustrated ranked him as the greatest athlete of the 20th century. The BBC as the sports personality of the 20th century. Terry Wogan. Sir Terry Wogan, MBE beginning with his radio show, Wake Up to Wogan, there followed Blankety Blank, Come Dancing, the Eurovision Song Contest, and of course, Children in Need. That wonderful little book called Ecclesiastes had a verse that challenged us. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 2 says this, It is better to go to the house of mourning than go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone, and the living should take this to heart. The contemporary English translation of that verse is this, It's better to go to a funeral than attend a feast. Funerals remind us that we must all die. My interpretation of that verse was this. Everyone will die, and wise people think about that. Here's what we got to thinking about back in January of this year. When the media produced a list of people who had died in 2016 only certain people made that list and it seemed that the people who made that list found favor in the eyes of the media to find favor in the eyes of the media you have to have done something or achieved something that the media notice so it seems to me that they found a way to measure a life And by their measure, only certain people make it onto their list. It raised the question, how do you measure a life? How do you measure your life? How do you measure your life, that is? In January, I posed this question. Do you suppose God has a list and here's another thought if god does have a list how do you measure up luke 10 verse 20 says this it's a lovely verse however do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Here's my amplified version of Ecclesiastes 7 verse 2 of Luke 10:20 in mind. All of us will die, that's certain. And the wise among us will think carefully about what we do with our lives, knowing what's coming, even if we don't know when it's coming. And the wise will think about it in the light of the truth that names are written in heaven. If you want to get your name on the list that the media write, you must set your heart on achieving things or accruing things or making your mark. And if you do enough of that, you may make it onto their list. To find your name written in heaven, well, that's something staggeringly different. To find names in heaven... The work has already been done and there is nothing, there is absolutely nothing you need to do or can do to add to that work. What's done is enough, absolutely, totally enough. And God desperately wants names written in heaven and God desperately wants your name written in heaven and the moment a heart turns toward him something extraordinary happens I'm going to read three well-known stories about what happens when a heart turns to God and when I've read them I'm going to ask you to turn to the people next to you And talk about it for a moment. So Luke chapter 15, you can probably recite them with me without even looking at the text. Luke chapter 15, one of the best chapters in the Bible, if I'm even allowed to say that. Beginning at verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in heaven, in the presence of the angels of God, over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So you have one minute, one minute, theologians of Crawley Baptist Church together to decide what is the point The main point of those three stories, the one main point of those three stories in one minute, should be easy. Ready? Go. (laughs) Okay, you can carry on that conversation later on. Uh, Just for the record, that's called meditating. That's what Psalm 1 says. It's chewing the cud. It's talking stuff over. You should do it lots. Carry that conversation on later on. Now just for the sake of time, I'm not going to ask you to feedback, but I'm going to ask you to carry that on later on. Because you could have said, maybe you did say, that it's about the one main thing is that God searches for those who are lost. Always. And that is wonderfully true. I would agree with that. You may have said that these three stories, the main thing they show us is that, that we are of great value to God. And I would agree with that because that is wonderfully true. You may have said, actually what these stories show is that God loves us enough to let us wander off and make our own choices, but never gives up on us. I would agree with that, because that is wonderfully true. But this morning, I'm going to suggest that the most staggering truth contained within these stories is how much heaven celebrates when our heart turns towards God. You want to start a party in heaven? I will ask that question again. You may answer. Would you like to start a party in heaven? Yes. Yes. You know how to do it? Turn your heart towards God. Now, I know some of you theologians are going to be saying, oh, yeah, Ian, that's just about conversion. I disagree. It is absolutely wonderfully true it is about conversion. But I think every time a heart turns towards God, you start a party in heaven. So whether you've done it already this morning, whether you do it in this moment now, or whether you do it around this meal we'll celebrate in a moment, if you turn your heart toward God, you start a party in heaven. When a heart turns toward God, heaven explodes. When you turn your heart toward God, heaven explodes. I wrote that twice, it's so good, I've just (laughs) realised. Well, I thought that sentence was going to end slightly differently, but it didn't, did it? Here's a challenging thought. As far as I can tell, there is nothing in the Bible that tells us that heaven throws a party, sorry students, over your academic achievements or how much money you make, or how many houses you own, or what kind of holidays you go on, or who you know, or what job you do, heaven throws a party when your heart turns toward God. That's it. And some of us want to say, and you should say, thank God for that. <laughs> now why do you suppose that might be, Friends? Why does heaven throw a party when our heart turns toward God? Well, maybe it has to do with the way we measure ourselves. Mostly, we want to be the hero of our own story. That's what I struggle with the most. I want to be the hero of my own story. And mostly, I see what's tangible, what's here and now, what's right in front of me, the things I can touch. Heaven sees a very different story, a much bigger and a much better story. Heaven sees a different hero, the one who loves you because he loves you, because he loves you. Let's try this. Heaven has a different story, say this, the one who loves me, because he loves me, because he loves me. Come on, all those people are not joining in because he loves me. I would get told off for that. I went to a conference yesterday. You're not supposed to do that kind of thing in church. You're free not to say it. But if you don't want to say it, ask yourself why. Heaven sees a far bigger story. We see mostly what's in front of us. Heaven sees a whole different thing that's far bigger and far better. Could it be that Father, Son and Spirit, the whole company of the heavenly host, throw a party like you've never seen because they can see something that we mostly can't? i like that thought the german philosopher frederick nietzsche famously said god is dead now i checked this out tom because i thought you might be here this morning so correct me be gentle with me if i've got this slightly right slightly wrong because he was an atheist right he didn't actually believe in a god who had actually died because that'd be rather silly of an atheist wouldn't it but rather that the concept of God held in Christianity and in Western civilization had died. And actually, Nietzsche, if I've understood it correctly, was not convinced that was a good thing, because if you lose that, you lose everything that holds the whole thing together. So here's a question which I find quite challenging. What would the world be like if God wasn't there, if God wasn't present? The world is a challenging enough place now, isn't it? Conflict, violence, hatred, selfishness, prejudice, injustice. That so often fills our hearts, if we're honest. If God wasn't present, there would be no forgiveness, no hope, no acts of kindness, no words or deeds of love, no purpose. A world without the presence of God, a world lived in the absence of God, would be hell wouldn't it when a heart turns toward god you are saved from the absence of his presence thank you you are saved from the absence of his presence and heaven sees and heaven rejoices Heaven rejoices because it sees the far bigger and the far better story that you are not without forgiveness or hope or kindness or love or purpose. Heaven rejoices because heaven sees the majestic, mighty, wonderful presence of God in this world even when we can't or we don't. When a heart turns toward God, head and rejoices in the bigger and better story of God's magnificent presence. And here's a lovely, absolutely beautiful thought. And I was thinking about this on Wednesday afternoon as we sat in the garden. and I couldn't find the words to say it, so I hope it makes sense to you guys now is that when a heart turns toward God, heaven rejoices because it knows what's waiting. The heavenly host know and wait for those whose hearts turn toward God. They can't wait for the excitement it brings them. Do you ever think about it like that? Heaven can't wait till you get there. That's another way of saying it. Because it knows what's coming knows what's waiting for you. They have seen the banquet, they have heard the music and they can't wait for you to arrive so they can start the party. Oh, come on, get with it. Actually, they're longing to see your face when you get there. But much more than that, they're longing to see you. And when you arrive at the party, something wonderful will happen. And this is one of the reasons they get so excited in heaven, right? It's because you will be changed in the blink of an eye and you will be like Jesus himself. 1 John 3, verse 2. We have not yet been shown what we will be in the future, but we know that when Christ comes again, we will be like him. You will be a blessing in heaven. You will. You will be God's completed work of art. You will. You're going to get this by the end of this because they've got a few more of these coming. And you're going to, some of you are going to start shouting amen because you actually believe it to be true, right? That's not a leading thing. It's what's going to happen. <laughs> you will have a heart like Jesus. You will. You will love with a perfect love. You will. You will worship like no one is watching. Oh, you will. How would we love to get there on a Sunday morning? You will worship like nobody's watching. Whatever that is for you. It's not presc- Thank you, Eileen. We look forward to seeing you dancing a little bit later on. Oh, but we won't be watching. We won't be watching. Remember. Remember. You will fully hear each word God speaks. You will. Your words will be like jewels. They will. Your thoughts will be like treasures. They will. You will be guiltless, fearless, flawlessly discerning, fully loving, freely worshipping. You will. That is God's bigger and better story. And the whole company of heaven rejoices when our heart turns towards him because they can see what we don't yet see. Friends, a rejoicing heart is one whose name is written in heaven. A rejoicing heart is one that knows that the work that has been done means there's nothing that can be added or needs to be added to that because that work is enough a rejoicing heart is one that lives in the bigger and better story where god is the hero of the story a rejoicing heart is one assured of god's divine presence now and can look forward to the party of all parties so how is your heart this morning Allow me one final challenge. Every person you meet, every person you have ever met and every person you will ever meet has an invitation to the party. But not everyone wants to turn their heart towards God. That is the tragedy of the human heart. But perhaps we can become part of God's bigger and better story as we stir up hearts and point them to that party. And the question becomes this. How much do we really care about the hearts of others? Heaven explodes when our heart turns towards him. But how about you? A rejoicing heart explodes when our heart turns toward God. Our vision statement here reads this. Crawley Baptist Church will be bursting with life. Perhaps we might say it this way. Crawley Baptist Church is full of rejoicing hearts, rejoicing that names are written in heaven and others are turning to God. Amen. Amen.